0: If you have a Bible tonight I want you to open to Acts chapter 19 again this is our third message in a series based on this verse and the question that Paul asked in this verse I'm not teaching this because I don't think we understand it because this is kind of the way we started all of most of us here we have a, a view of the holy spirit which I think is proper but Uh, There's a lot of contention in churches over what it means to receive the Holy Spirit or the tongues part and all of those things that that cause a lot of divisions and and apprehensions. And I I think if people would just read it and believe it because God said it, it would solve most of those problems. But I didn't grow up in a spirit-filled or a Pentecostal-type church. I grew up in just the opposite When I got saved, it wasn't a month and a half after I got saved that this came. I was confronted with this thing about the Holy Spirit. Didn't want it, didn't believe it was right, didn't believe it was for today, but it finally came about. And I'm aware of the fact that even in our circles, there's a lot of misunderstanding or a lot of indifference to what it means to receive the Holy Spirit or even about the Holy Spirit. This is one of those messages, at least for me, that you teach on every five or six years to make sure that the ones that are growing up who didn't listen then, who are holding babies in their lap now, are paying attention now. Because there's a reason for the question that he asked in in Acts chapter 19 and verse 2. He said unto them, Paul did, he said, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said, we really don't know what you're talking about. And so he explained it to them, and then they were baptized in water in the name of Jesus. And then it says he laid his hands on them in verse 6, and they spoke in tongues. And that's, again, that's been a touchy subject for years because of the reputation that people who talk in tongues have. I know my mother described her one experience in a tent meeting, in a Pentecostal tent meeting, and all the carrying ons, as she would call it. The picture I had was there's no way I'm getting involved in that. But I think what she saw was different than what I saw and what I have seen. Though I don't deny that, I know that there's been a lot of, depending on what degree of spirit-filled teaching you're around or people you're around. Some are quite emotional, and some probably are not. But nevertheless, it says here, and this was a New Testament pattern. Paul, a Christian, passed through the upper coast, didn't just find somebody to witness to. The Bible says he looked for and found believers, disciples. And he said to those disciples, this was a New Testament pattern. He said, since you believed, have you received the Holy Spirit? Today, people might take that as an offense because they would say, When I believed, I got all of it. Well, if they did, I wonder why he would ask such a question. I mean, if it all came at once, what's the question for? So it's a valid question. It's a question that was asked to believers, not non believers. You're not saved because you have received the Holy Spirit as such. You're saved because you believe in Jesus, He's the Savior. He's the one in whom we have life and so forth. But look at Matthew chapter 3 quickly, because I don't want to linger on this. I'm just doing a quick review. Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist is speaking, and he's speaking about Jesus. John said, I indeed baptize you with water until repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I am. And this is what John the Baptist said that Jesus would do. He said, he, Jesus, shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Is that what he says? So I'm going to introduce you to Jesus. He's coming. He's the Messiah. Get ready for him. That's what these disciples did in Acts 19. They had met Jesus and been baptized because they believed he was coming. and want to get ready. It's just the way they did it then. And then John the Baptist said, now when Jesus comes... When you're saved, when your Lord and Master comes, when he finds his place in your heart, he said, He will baptize you with the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, we looked at that last week, and again, I don't want to go through all of that, but let me add a couple things to what I want to say tonight from last week. For example, in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13, talking about the sequence you believe and then you receive. It's kind of like the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the receiving of the Holy Spirit, the infilling, whatever. There's different ways it's described. It comes after you have believed in Christ. For example, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, it says, In whom you also trusted, Jesus, in whom you also trusted after you heard the word of your salvation. First, you heard the word. God uses the word. You're born again not of corruptible seed, but of what? Salvation is in Jesus. And you heard about him. And that one divine moment in your life in which God took the words you've heard before. You've been in church many times. You've heard things a lot. But there was a moment in time that God caused meaning to come with those words. And you heard it differently than you'd ever heard it. And it brought what is necessary. It brought conviction. You became aware of your sinful state. You heard the word of your salvation and it says when you heard that you realize your need for that and the only way you can get it is by believing it you're saved by grace through faith and so forth so all you could do was believe the report and the bible uses the word trusted to show how you did that in whom you trusted after you heard the word Of your salvation, and it says, in whom also, in whom also, after you believed. Turn to Ephesians 1, so you can, don't take my word for it. In whom also, after you believed. I want you to see that before I get into what I want to get into tonight. Start again at the first part. In whom also you trusted after. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also... After that, you believed you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Verse 14, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. Now, we don't use those words a lot in messages and in Christianity, but there's a lot said there. How many of you believe that you were purchased with a price? That somebody in redeeming you bought you. In fact, First Corinthians six talks about you were bought with a price. What was the price? The blood of Jesus, his life. His life for your life. That paid the price. God was appeased that the doorway to salvation is open. You believe in him, he'll give you life. That's the way it worked. And it says after you believed, he said you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance. This is not complicated, just there's a lot of compartments here. We all have an inheritance laid up in heaven, reserved in heaven, waiting for us. You know that, First Peter talks about that. And in the meantime, while we're waiting for that inheritance to come, we walk through this world, we overcome, we grow and change and prepare ourselves for the Lord and for the Lord's coming and for his kingdom. But there is a word here that talks about being kept, being secured. For example, he said, In whom also after you believe you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Now, concerning that promise, we go back to what Jesus said in John 14, 15, and 16. I will not leave you comfortless. In one case, in chapter 16, he said, I will come to you. Another place, he said, the Father will send the comforter. Another time, Jesus said, I will send him. You talk about the same thing. It's a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. But he said, I won't leave you alone. He said, I have many more things to teach you in John 16. There's more things Jesus said I want to tell you that have hurt me for three and a half years. But if I told you what I want to tell you now, you wouldn't be able to handle it. It wouldn't have the meaning it's supposed to have. It wouldn't affect your life the way the word is designed to affect your life. You need something more than what you've got. Now what's going to happen is I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, he'll guide you into all the truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. He will take the things of mine and show it unto you. You'll see things in a way you've never seen it before. Things will begin to make sense where once it was just... A Bible study now becomes life. Like Jesus said, his words are spirit and life in John 6. And so we're told that there's a comforter coming that's going to be sent to us by the Lord. He will baptize you in the Holy Ghost. You'll be immersed into the spirit. And God makes a claim on your life. It's called being sealed. And those of you that are familiar with something sealed, that it's an authentic testimony of ownership when you put your seal on something like in the days when they seal letters with their ring or an impression everybody knew that it came from a certain person it wasn't to be opened until it was to the one it came to that seal was a symbol of authenticity that you belonged to the Lord it's God's personal ownership now you think about it Jesus said you didn't choose me but I chose you and to choose you, he caused you to come to him. He caused it. You didn't come to him because if you were in Sunday school class and you're, by time you'd come to the Lord. You came to the Lord, if you came on his terms, you came because of godly sorrow and a broken heart. And when he brought you to him, he's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. That's what he said. And he said, when the Spirit comes, he will secure you and he will keep you. In fact, the word earnest, the word earnest that follows is like the word for a down payment. He says the Holy Spirit is the earnest of our inheritance. It's like the guarantee of your inheritance. This is the down payment. This is part of it. It'll be finished when your life is over. When you start thinking about it, you think, wait a minute. No, wait a minute. Are you saying... And all I'm saying to you is this is the language the Bible uses. I'm at the mercy of the Holy Spirit just like you are, the the great teacher. And I'm going to take him at his word and stick with what he says. When he said, after you believed, not before you believed, but afterward, after you have believed, you were sealed. Just like in Acts 19, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is... The earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. The security that I have or that I believe that I now have, the comfort I have is that God has given me his assurance he's going to keep me. Now I believe. I believe in being kept. I do. To quote the Baptist, I I believe As the Bible teaches, I believe being saved, you're going to be saved. Once God saves you, he's going to keep you saved. I don't believe everybody that says they're saved is because you can act like you're saved for a while. You can imitate it. But when you're really saved, he's going to keep you saved. That's the work of God. You can't do that, but he can. Now, you don't always think you're saved because sometimes you have a bad day, unless you're different than I was. There's times I thought, man, this ain't working. I don't think I can do this. It's over my head. I just keep falling back in the snow. uh, And we struggle and we flounder around. But here we are 30, 40 years later, he has kept us. And he is going to keep us. And he says in Philippians 1, the work that he started, he'll finish. So I know something good is happening. I cannot prove that I'm one of God's elect. I have to believe that. There's nowhere I can look and find out something I can point you to and say, see, it says, here I am. I have to believe what I have read in the Bible, that it's so. And I believe the assurance to know who you are in Christ is given to you when the Holy Spirit comes and takes his residence up in your life. Now, I believe that. Listen to what Paul also wrote. He said in Ephesians 4 and verse 30, he said, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed Until the day of redemption. Is there a day coming in which the Redeemer will come? Will you be caught up to meet him in the air if it comes like that? Sure you will. The Redeemer. Jesus came into the redemption store. You were bound on a shelf, ownership of somebody else. And he laid down the appropriate I'm dating myself about the top value stamps. Any of you all remember top value stamps? S&H green stamps, maybe? Well, that was for old people then. But if you collected enough stamps and he gave you a book to put the stamps in, each book was worth so many points. If you got enough points, you could get many and various toasters to mixers or whatever was in the store. And there were you in a store on a shelf. You could never get out of that place unless somebody wanted to redeem you. And I love this, that Jesus walked in one day, laid down the appropriate number of books that said on him. Amen. And I was legally set free. And the devil has no more right to me because I, I've been redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the lamb and the redeem redeem his child and forever I am. I believe that. You've got to have some kind of security in your life. You can't walk through life hoping you don't lose your salvation. You know, you've got to believe. There's a power to faith that a lot of people haven't realized. But that faith is not based on emotion. It's based on what is said in the Word of God. And that's what you've got to hold on to. Now, Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and verse 22, it says, Who has sealed us and given us the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. This is talking about the Holy Spirit. He has sealed us and given us the the guarantee in our hearts. Does that mean then that it's what it sounds like, doesn't it? Or, he said in 2 Corinthians 5, 5, who has also given us the earnest of the Spirit. This was the New Testament message. (coughs) This is the one thing unique to the Bible that wasn't in the Old Testament, other than many, many, teakle, youfarsen written on the wall in Belshazzar's wall which had to be interpreted, but this is a New Testament experience. It had never been done before. It was not an Old Testament experience. The Old Testament scholars couldn't relate to this. They couldn't understand this, but it wasn't for them. You know, on the day of Pentecost, Peter quoted Joel. He said, this is that, what you're seeing here going on with these apostles that are all filled with the Spirit, This, this is that which was spoken of by Joel the prophet, he said, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and there will be a way that you know that something unique and different has happened. Something will happen. There will be signs. There will be ways in which these things are seen that God will show us. Now, concerning being sealed, we said last week, how are we sealed? We're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Listen to what Jesus said in the book of Luke, in chapter 24, and verse Forty-nine. Jesus said, And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. Now this is what Jesus said. A resurrected Jesus has appeared in the upper room. The holes in his hands and the hole in his side. And he's passed through the wall. And he's here and he's there on the road to Emmaus. This is Jesus. And he said to his disciples, his personal choices. He said, Now you tarry here in the city of Jerusalem until I send the promise of my Father upon you. And in the same writer Luke in chapter 1 and verse 4, he said, In being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you have heard of me. Jesus has already breathed into these disciples. They had received divine life. He didn't breathe into them until he was raised from the dead, until he was glorified. But he told those people that he breathed into, just like God breathed into that clay figure and it became alive. He told these, he said, Now you all, now you all tarry in Jerusalem until I send the promise of my Father upon you. I'm not going to describe how you're going to know when he comes. It won't be just a, a look at your clock and say, well, it's 7 o'clock you can leave. He came. No, when he comes, you'll know it. It's going to change the face of the earth. It's going to change the way people look at God and think of God. It's going to be the most unique and dramatic experience since the resurrection of Jesus, which is shortly after. But this is going to be an amazing thing that's going to happen. And when it does happen, you'll know it. So, On the day of Pentecost, after they heard these things, Peter was preaching about what Joel said and what happened. They said in in chapter 2, verse 37 and finally, he said, That then men and brethren, he said, What shall we do? We heard what you're saying, Peter. We're the ones that mocked you and made fun of you. Now we're hearing something in a way we've never heard it before. What what's going on here? Now we're troubled by what we've done. We know what you said. We may not be able to explain it. We don't have scrolls, but something about what you said is right because my heart's affected by this. Something is real and genuine. What what are we going to do? You know what he said? Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now that's the way he said it, on the day of Pentecost, when all these things were going on. And in the 39th verse of Paul, it says, For the promise is unto you, and unto your children, and to all them that are far off, listen to this, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Are we saying that everybody That the Lord calls to himself. That he has for them the promise of the Holy Spirit. He didn't say that about everybody. He said that about those that are his. That's what he said. So. He said the promise is unto you. And as many as the Father shall call. That's the promise of the Spirit. Let me say it again. Jesus said to people. Good people, disciples that followed him around, had gone out two by two and worked miracles and maybe raised the dead and, and signs and wonders followed. He said to them, Now you tarry in the city of Jerusalem until I send the promise of my Father upon you. I promise you in John fourteen fifteen and 16 that I'm going to send another comforter. And when he comes, he comes with power. For he said in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, he said, But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost comes upon you. Whether he's poured out, you're baptized, you receive, or he comes upon you. They all describe the same event. But you shall receive power. You see, you're born again because you received Christ, John one twelve. You become his children. The Holy Ghost comes to make your authority, effective, to enable you to understand, to enable you to know what you need to know the way God wants you to know it, to add purpose to life instead of religion, to make it a need in your life to have more of what he's given you. There's a dimension here that a lot of people can't relate to. They're just religious people. They were baptized, they joined a church, they're good people. I'm not saying they're bad or as good as we are. I mean, as far as morals. But being moral doesn't get you to heaven. You believe that? Though some of the most moral people in the world weren't saved. I mean, the people that were rigid in the morals. Gandhi was one, he wasn't saved modernists today would say that he was because they base who god accepts on how good they live but if just living good would get you into heaven you wouldn't need jesus you just live good you devise your own way to be saved and you live according to your terms and that's good enough and there is a way that seems right unto man but the bible says it's a way of death because if they speak not according to this word they have no light We have to realize that what God has given us in his Bible is what we hold to. I don't want to add anything to it. I certainly don't want to take anything from it. And I want it to mean to us, I want it to mean to myself exactly what it says because I want it to work for me in my life. Now, would you turn to Acts 2? Acts 2, I quoted this a while ago. Now I want you to see it because the question tonight is, Inasmuch as God sends the Holy Spirit, Jesus baptizes in the Holy Spirit. How do we receive the Holy Spirit? I mean, you know, you say, well, I got it when I got saved. Well, how do you know you did? Based on what? What evidenced it? Well, I don't know you have to have any evidence, do you? Well, I would think you would. in the New Testament, they did. It doesn't say anything about tongues in Acts chapter 8. But, you know, when they heard about the revival of Samaria, you remember that? They sent Peter and John down to pray for them. They heard about a revival. The folks back at Jerusalem heard about it and said, really? Who's there, Philip? Okay, uh, Peter, uh, you, you and John go over, go up there to Samaria and pray for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. The Bible says, for as yet he was fallen on none of them. They received his word. There was much joy in that city. Demons were being cast out. There was a lot of stuff going on that goes with Christianity. But they had not received the Holy Spirit. Remember Peter laid his hands on them and the Holy Spirit came on them. It didn't say they spoke in tongues or danced. It just said he laid his hands on them and the Holy Spirit came. But that sorcerer, he said, let me buy this gift that you all have. How did he know they had something different than what he had? I believe that sorcerer laid his hands on a couple of people. Let I me mean, watch them apostles how they do it. Come over here, Rodriguez. Let I me mean, let me lay hands on. So he laid hands on two or three of them, and they just sort of stood there like that. He said, Well, I ain't got it. How much y'all take for that gift you got? See, I believe something happened that was evident that this seducer didn't have. And he wanted to buy it. He knew he didn't have it. Because he wasn't getting the results they got. So I think something happens. Something happens in which there is no shadow of a doubt whether or not you have received what the Lord has offered and what the Lord has given. So that being so, the question now is then how do we receive this? How does it come to us? I mean, if it doesn't come all at once, it certainly could. But if it does not come all at once, do I have to believe that since I have believed there's something else? Well, that's what the Bible said. Having passed through the upper coast, Paul found his people, said, since you believed, have you received? He said, no. Then he prayed for them. That was the New Testament. So in Acts 2.39, he said, for the promise is unto you and unto your children, to all that are far off. Would that be in Shelby County? That would include us. He said, as many as the Lord our God shall call. I believe I am. I believe he called me. Okay, so I believe I'm qualified. Don't you? So how do we do it? Well, let's take the biblical sequence. Today, people don't see the need to ask for something they believe they got already. But here's what Jesus said in Luke chapter 11 In verse 13, Jesus said these words. He said to his disciples, If you then being evil, unregenerate, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who what? But that's not an issue today because folks say, I don't have to ask for something, I've already got it. Well, that's not what he said. That's not what he said. He said, how much more shall your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those that ask him? You have to ask. You have to believe that you don't have what he's promised and that you have to ask for it. Because the second thing is, if you're going to ask God for anything, a principle of faith applies here. It would do any of us no good to ask If when we ask God for something, we didn't believe we were going to have it, we think that by much praying we'll get answers, and if we don't get answers, then it's not because we didn't try. But that's not true. God doesn't base a person's faith on how long he can pray or by how many hours he prays. Faith is a matter of your heart, not the clock. Jesus said it like this. He said, when you pray, you must believe you have what you've asked for when you pray. And if you believe you have it, I'll give it to you. We have a problem with that because we don't feel different. Maybe it's for healing. Or maybe it's for money to come in to pay a bill. And the money hasn't come in yet. The pain is still there. So we have a natural tendency to doubt that we really have received anything from God, even though we asked for it. But Jesus said in Mark 11, I think it's verse 24, used to be 24, what things soever you desire. You. If you have to ask for the Holy Spirit, it's got to be a desire. And when you pray, believe what? Believe you have received. Well, I don't... I. I, I He said, when you pray, just stay with the principle. When you pray, believe that you have received and you shall get it. You shall have it. You folks sitting here for all these years, you've heard that probably regularly. I don't mean to be ugly when I say this. I'm not trying to be mean, but I'm not sure how many of you connected with that. Because it didn't come from me. It didn't start with me. And it won't end with me. It came from the word of God, from the lips of Jesus. What things in Shelbyville Christian Assembly a believer asks for. If when that believer prays and they petition God or ask God for this. The only thing God holds you to is faith. That's it. It's not a struggle. It's not the anguish of your faith. It's not the contortion of your It's just faith faith it's as simple as that when you pray believe Matthew 21 says that when you pray believe when you pray take God at his word if he said you shall have it then believe you shall have it if he said it's yours believe it's yours I can't do more there's nothing else I can do I have no other way to please God. There's no other way to convince God. That's all there is. Even in Hebrews 11, it said, He that comes to God must believe that he is. You can't see him. You can't feel him. You can't touch him. You can't hear him audibly. You have to believe. You have to believe that what he said in this book is his word to us. You can't make it true. Word of God isn't true because, because you believe it. The Word of God is true because God said it. That's the very basis for my faith. God is not a man that he should lie. Is he? He's not the son of man that he should repent. If he said it, he'll do it. How many thousand things has he said? He said, in nah, Isaiah. 55, so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I please, it will prosper into the thing whereto I send it. What more can he say? He gave us his word about what he will do and requires only that we believe it. That we simply take him at his word. Embrace it with our will. And count on God to do what he said. I can't make him do it. I can't even always understand it. All I can do is, if he said it, I'm counting on you to do it. And that's what faith is. Faith is counting on God to do what he said. To repeat myself, your faith doesn't make the word true. Your faith doesn't validate the word. The word is true whether we believe it or not. It's eternally done and said. It's given to us as a reason for and a way of faith. And what is faith? It's me hearing what God said, it's me taking God at His word. It's like saying, Lord, you said, and if you said it, thank you. I accept that as true. And there's only way I know of to evidence faith. It's by action. How you live. Faith without works is what? It's dead. Anybody can say, I believe the devil believes in God, doesn't he? James 2 talks about the devil believes in God. But when we say we believe in God, there's evidence of it. It's simply us acting like the word is true. If God said it, that settles it. And if God said, I am, I am. If God said, I can, I can. If God said he will, he will. If God says it's possible, it's possible. All God has to do is say it. And all we can do is believe it. What a life. For every problem you're going to have in life, every encounter, every issue you have with the devil, all the circumstances and all the difficulties you find from money to your wife, your kids, to tomorrow, your business, your job, your health, everything. There's a verse in the Bible for it. God has left nothing from us. Even if there's no specific promise, there's a general promise, Mark eleven twenty-four. what things soever. What do you want? Jesus said, if you abide in me and these words abide in you, you can ask what you will. And it will be done. That's how much God puts on his word and how much he tells you that if you'll trust him and abide in him, he'll do for you what he said. There needs to be no more said. If there's a promise of healing in the Bible, it's not whether or not I can read that. I can say, I believe that. Praise God, I believe that. He's all I need. He's all I need. But the only way we know he's all I need is to watch you live. You can say you believe that all you want to, but in a time of turmoil, you turn from that to something else. Now, we all have, so I mean, the condemnation lies with all of us when we've done it, if it's condemnation. We're all growing. We're still wrestling with some things and struggling with some things. But I guess I want that. I want to know that I can grow old and not be concerned about my health. I do. I want to grow old and know that my needs are going to be met and you're not going to find me with a cup down on the corner in Louisville somewhere. Because I can't play guitar and I can't sing it. Well, I like to have a promise that my father shall take care of me. And he said he'll supply half of your needs. said he'll supply all of your needs. Will he or not? How do you know? How do you demonstrate that? Well, one thing, you quit talking about what you ain't got. You start living faith. You start acting like what he said is true. (coughs) It won't look like it's true. (coughs) He didn't say you'd look better. He didn't say you'd sound better. He said, when you pray, believe you have received. And just like the coming of the Holy Spirit, you hold on to what you believe, it'll come. It'll happen. There is no greater message to me for God's people in this hour than faith. People take faith as a word that identifies their traditional beliefs. Methodist, Baptist, Presbyterian, Catholic, something faith. But faith is a word that describes a life. A life that is connected with God. A life that is determined by what God says in his word. If God says it, that's what you believe. What do I mean by believe? That's how you act. That's the demonstration of your life. If a woman says to her husband, I love you. Well, that's good. Men likes to hear that. Women hear it all the time. But men like to hear it every now and then. How do I know she loves me? She won't cook my supper. Acts bad to me all the time. Mean. Frowns at me. Tells me about all my faults and weaknesses and problems. Can't believe I married you. That ain't love, is it? But if she says, I love you when I don't deserve to be loved. When she says, I love you when I'm about as, well, my grade card would be an F. And she loves me anyway. Now, she's demonstrating what? What? That what she said, she believes, may not feel good, may not be convenient, but it's what she believes. Folks, we've been holding the Bible in our laps and had in our homes all of our lives, all your life. And this book has contained thousands of promises from your Heavenly Father who cannot fail. If he said it, he'll do it. If he spoke it, he'll make it good. And yet at the first sign of trouble, it's not to that quiet prayer closet or a place where you talk to God. It's not there that Christians run, it's to the phone. I didn't finish this sermon last Sunday. I've got some new light, and I thought I was done with it about why we are weak, why we don't do well, why we're bound. Man's bound by his fears. You can go to church and sing all your songs. I've got the victory in the name of Jesus. And tomorrow you can be whimpering like a baby because I'm going to on you. You can do that. Anybody can sing these songs. Anybody can sit in these seats. Any of us. I'm not talking about bad people. I'm talking about good people. Y'all. Or you folks. But I'm talking about... That when things happen, the first thing you do is turn to God. You committed yourself. You committed your heart to him. You're his purchased property. What do you want to do with this body? What do you want to do in my circumstance? You said you would never leave me nor forsake me, so I know you're here. I'm going to act like you're here. I'm not going to be afraid. I feel afraid, but I'm not going to act like I'm afraid. I'm going to act like what God said is true. There's a war going on between the devil and God. I'm going to take God at his word. He's never failed me. He said he wouldn't. I'm going to trust him. And if he said he'd take care of me, he's going to take care of me. I'm not going to live afraid that I'm going to have another child or I'm going to be a, a victim of some disease or I'm going to lose my money. I'm not going to live like that. Too many phone calls amongst Christian people about what they can't do and what they're afraid of and what's coming next. There's too much evidence. That way, that we're not believing God. Makes a preacher want to preach on it again. Now let's bring it back to the Holy Spirit. Come back to the Holy Spirit. He said, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? But if you're going to ask him, you've got to turn to Galatians 3. If you're going to ask him, the Bible says you have to ask in faith. Now this applies to the Holy Spirit. When you pray, believe what? Believe you have received. Doesn't it say that? Well, let me read this verse first. Instead of just leaving it up to God, well, you know, if he wants me to have it. Have you ever heard that? Well, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian. I don't question that. I'm a Christian. I, I try and so forth. And if God wants me to have anything more than what of God, he'll give it to me no he said ask didn't he he said ask see that's what the prodigal son's brother did see the prodigal son said I want mine now man there's a Mardi Gras in full bloom I want mine I'm gone by and when he finally came back his father received him kissed him on the neck gave him the the ring put shoes on his feet killed the fatted calf what did the brother do You know what the brother did? He was a religious person, his brother was. He told his father, he said, I don't want to go in there and eat with him. It ain't fair. I've served you all my life. I've never done anything. You never gave me a calf. You never gave me a ring. You never had a party for me. You know what his father told him? The father looked at that son and said, son, these things have always been yours. You're trying to earn it trying to do good. And, <laughs> okay, Lord. He said, "Anyhow, how you get it. Anyhow, how you get it. How you get it, you ask. That's how your brother got it, didn't he? Yeah, but look what he did. And your father understood that and still went and brought him back. He never did not be his son. But that brother thought that if he just struggled long enough and suffered long enough and did without long enough, surely God will see that if anybody deserves something I do. His father said, these things have been years all they've been around here all your life. You never asked for it. I think churches are full of thousands and thousands of people who have a Bible who never asked for these things. Maybe they don't know they can. And if they did ask, they keep asking and hoping and hoping and hoping it'll work. And when it doesn't work, they say, well, it must not be. So, uh, you know, whatever he wants me to have, you'll give it. But I'm going to leave it up to God. No, no, and no. When you pray, believe. How do you know you believe? You act like you believe. You act like it's so. One time I went to bed. Had a fever. Oh, I felt bad. Put a cover on me in a hot summer day. And my wife... I'm telling you all how mean this. Is. She came in, she said, you can't trust God with that cover on you. So I took the cover off and got up, felt terrible, just felt terrible. I don't know whether it's because I had to get up or because of the message, but I had to get up. But it was a conviction when I got up and said, that is right. You teach on this subject, but you've got to act like it. You, do you believe you're healed? Act like you're healed. If you can I know we're growing, we're going through stages. Some are more advanced than others, but act like you heal. You believe the money's going to come in? Good. You believe God's going to supply you with that a brother I knew claimed a big Ford van once, a new one, back when everybody drove vans and had 16 kids, and, and they said he was believing for a, a van. He hadn't got it yet, but he went to the, like of Walmart, they didn't have it then, but they went to one of those kind of stores and bought one of those little snack trays that bolts to the engine cover between the two front seats. And I said to him, "What are you doing with that?" He said, "I'm going to put it in my van." I said, "We well, don't even have a van." He said, "I believe in for one." Now that's how you use your faith. How do you receive the Holy Ghost? Well, you pray, you ask. And he says in Galatians three, "Have you found it yet?" And verse fourteen. He says that we might receive the promise at the end of that verse, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit, how? Faith. By faith. You mean I have to believe? That's exactly right. You have to believe you received. God will add to it, but you've got to believe. Years ago in Indiana, where I was teaching at the time, living, we had a Sunday night meeting, and everybody came We had a church full on Sunday morning, but Sunday nights, nobody needs to be taught. So, you know, there were 20 or 30 that came. And I was teaching that particular night on the Holy Spirit. And a lady was there with a guy I grew up with, his wife. Her name was Karen. His name was Joe. And so after the end of the uh, teaching, I had said, if anybody wants to receive the Holy Spirit tonight, you can come up and I'll pray for you. And Karen got out of her seat and came up front. Now, she was kind of a as I would describe it, a socially proper, dignified, uh, classy type woman. You know, all of that, whatever that is. I said, what are you here for, Karen? Because, you know, they might be here for prayer for healing. And I said, what are you here for? She said, I want to receive the Holy Spirit. I said, okay, do you understand? She said, yes, I've heard, yes, I've read the book, yes. Yes. I said, okay, I'm going to pray for you and believe that you'll receive the Holy Spirit. Okay. So I reached out and laid hands on her. It's like like laying hands on a water hydrant. It's just... just, I laid hands on her, and I said, Receive the Holy Spirit. What else you do? You're supposed to shake them until the hair comes out. You're supposed to grab them. Or you just lay hands on them. That's what they did in the Bible. They laid hands on them. They didn't scream at them, yell at them. They laid hands on them. I laid hands on Karen, and she just... She said, Is that it? I said... You got any kind of urge to to speak? No. I said, well, let me pray again. Probably doubt and unbelief, but I laid hands on it again. I said, in the name of Jesus, receive ye the Holy Spirit as God has promised. Something like that. It's the same. I said, When we're through tonight, I'm going to give you a little instruction, then we'll go home. I said, okay, everybody, stand your feet, let's go home. So she came up after it was over, and I said to her, now, Karen, here's the principle of faith, what I just taught you. I said, here's faith's principle. When God makes a promise, you ask him for it. And there's a way you ask. He said, when you ask, you must believe that you have received. Now, I want you to say every day from now on, I want you to say every day, I want to thank you, Lord. I have received the Holy Spirit. She said, but I haven't done the tongues. I said, no, you just pray every day. Make this confession. I want to thank you, Lord. I have received the Holy Spirit. Just say that. I said, say it now. She said, well, I want to thank you, Lord, that I received the Holy Spirit. I said, good. Say it every day. Thanks for coming. Have a good trip home. Now, I saw her about, oh, two weeks to a month after that. She came to the meeting. She was smiling, and, you know, that was different. And I said, well, how's it going? She said, let me tell you. She said, I went home, and for, I think, for two weeks. If it wasn't, it's my version. And she said, every day I would say, Lord, I want to thank you that I have received the Holy Spirit. She said, just so empty. There's nothing there. Well, I have. It's what I said. I said, that's what faith does. Faith acknowledges that if God said it, he will do it. All I've got to do is believe he will and, and hold on to it and act like it's true. So she did it every day. She said one day, maybe a Saturday or something, cleaning the house, running the sweeper, I think she said. A special day, just a little cheerful, a little whistle, you know, a little joy, and a, you know, joyful. And uh, she said she was sweeping. And she said suddenly something very different happened. I, didn't, I can't explain it, and you hardly ever can. And she said, I knew something was going on, and I turned the sweeper off. it was the strangest thing. So I thought, it must be God. So she ran back to the bedroom and, you know, shut the door like we all would. We don't want anybody to hear it. So he goes back in the bedroom. She gets on her knees, and and she raises her hand and starts speaking in tongues. And she said, my goodness, she said, it just rolled out. And see, she came back, and she said, it happened. Because I believe she acted her faith. There was a time I used to pray for people. I used to try to get them to repeat after me. That's like trying to get somebody saved to to repeat your prayer. It's got to come from your heart. Let God do it. I tell people, now you repent. How do I repent? Tell them you're sorry. Sorry for what? For your stinking sins. Tell them you're sorry. Pour your heart out to God. He hears you. You don't need for me to tell you how to do that. I receive it. Just say it. Same thing I believe is true with the Holy Spirit. I used to do a lot of prompting and get down there and say, Say this, but you know, you say, say that again, you know Oh, you got it, not necessarily, but whoa, when God does it, when God does it, I remember that night in a Christian church. we were all asking for it. I mentioned it the other night. We were all praying for the Holy Spirit because nobody was getting it whether he asked for it, yeah, Lord, I wanted to because nothing's happened, but when it did happen, the brakes hit. Man, I was on the front row. We're getting ready to go home. I was praying the final prayer for us to leave and the church and go home. We've been witnessing that night. We came in. Always prayed for we went home. And I was praying, and all of a sudden it seemed like my it sounded like my vocal cords were getting like a there, and I was just talking through a little hole running my nose. Now I wasn't doing that. It seemed like that everything got uh, help me! But <laughs> and it seemed like a and next thing you know, I heard it. I sensed it. I didn't hear a voice, but it was on the inside of me. Raise your hands, open your mouth, and speak. I'm going to feel the Holy Spirit, and I did. And I knew I wasn't going to say, uh, "Our heavenly Father, which our Father are in heaven, how be that name?" I come up with on earth. This heaven I knew I wasn't going to do that. But it was stuff that rolled out of me, and I jabbered and carried on loud. Then after about 10 seconds that I was aware of doing it, I thought, oh, my goodness, what's these other guys over here with me thinking? Well, man, at the moment, I didn't care. I came back off of that thing. I landed against the first row of pews. And I was up there like this here, just laughing, having a good time, even. Stuck my head down where the pew hits the floor, where the two little screws that holds it in there. And I got right down there, next to (laughs) him, went down and did it some more. I never had a moment day like that ever in my life. I couldn't understand any of it. I wasn't imitating anybody I knew. Nobody in the Christian church in the history of the whole thing had never done that, I don't think. Maybe they did. But man, I was... I remember one of the guys in our church, one of the elders, he came over and he looked at me and he said, I just want to touch you, brother. I said, grab a hold and hang on. man." I drove home. Laughed all the way home. Went down Highway 403 from Charlestown to Sellersburg. Swung it around the Millview Circle and parked there at 230 Millview Drive. I was beside myself. I wasn't in any mode to be arrested. I mean, I wasn't doing anything crazy. But there was a spiritual and joy like I had never known. Many times I heard sermons, but nobody could describe this. I went in the house, woke my wife up. I said, guess what? And she said, you got it. About like that, you got it. I said, I did. (laughs) And she was complaining to the Lord a little bit after that about it. I know I love you as much as he does. (laughs) Because it came to the time, you know, when you ask and things aren't moving and things aren't happening, you tend to doubt. And doubt puts you in bondage. Doubt will make you draw back and wonder if God really meant what he said. That's what doubt does. And sometimes you just have to say, I'm not going to deny the Lord that if he said I'm going to have this, he's going to give it to me. I'm just going to hold on. Sometimes I think it's, it's not so much about the tongues as it is about the use in your faith. But speaking in tongues is a New Testament experience. Some say, well, tongues have ceased because all those gifts have ceased. Well, does that mean that knowledge and wisdom has ceased? Then we're going to be dumb and knowing, not knowing what, what to do the rest of our life. Now, there's people who just don't want what God has. They say we want it, but they don't want it. They're not willing to believe that they have it and act like they've got it. And, you know, you can't act like you're filled with the Spirit just on your own. But you can speak every day and you can say, Lord, I thank you. I've received the Holy Spirit. I know what you have poured into me. I know you said it's going to pour out of me. Didn't he say out of your innermost being? Deep within shall flow, didn't he say that? Shall flow rivers of living water. Didn't he say these signs shall follow those who believe? Well, let me ask any of you, all of you, any, so what's the problem with tongues? I'll explain next week what it was for. The advantage or the purpose of speaking in tongues. It wasn't a slobber. Tongues don't make you emotionally crazy. I speak in tongues every day. I don't think there's a day that ever goes by that I don't. Because too many times in a day, I don't know how to pray for some of the things that people ask me. Somebody's needs a prayer. I don't know what their need is with my understanding. So I pray in the Spirit because God said I can do that. I praise God for that because in 1 Corinthians 12, he says you never pray amiss. Never. You always pray according to the will of God. Always. You never fumble around with words because it's the Spirit of God that gives the words. You're simply speaking them. So I want that. I really do. And I know what people say. I know what people talk about. I know how they've said things. In our Christian church back in Charlestown, whenever they heard about us, a number of us speaking in tongues, there was rumors, so many rumors They said some of the ugliest things. I still believe it was one of the elders in our church accused me, because I was a teacher in a high school, of casting demons out of kids this way. I would grab them and holler at them and then shake them, and then they would vomit. And then I would shoot the vomit with a shotgun. I thought, man, your brain's in crooked. Something's wrong with you. Who could believe such a stuff as that? But that's just a way of putting you down and trying to make you seem like you're really the village idiot now that you've had an experience that we don't do that here. I'm sure you don't do that there. I doubt that you ever will do that there. I'm sure you're going to be happy with like an elephant without a trunk. You'll be happy in that condition the rest of your life. But for me, I, I want the whole package. I do. Well, they're going to throw rocks at you. Then it wouldn't be the first time. Wouldn't be the first time. They're going to talk ugly about your family. They've done that too. And all my kids, most of them survived. Most all of them have so far. They all will before it's over. But does it have to be tongues? I mean, we call that the evidence. Well, quickly, book of Acts. Acts chapter 2 and verse 4. Pentecost. Everybody knows this verse. Verse 3, There appeared unto them cloven tongues like a fire, and rested and sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And what happened? They began to do something they had never done before. They spoke in other tongues. Now, they spoke in a known language. Because there are such a thing as speaking in a language that you've never learned, but that somebody else recognizes. That was the day of Pentecost. But there are also what is called different kind, diverse kinds of tongues. Like in 1 Corinthians 14. He that speaks in a tongue speaks not to men. It's not a gift. A gift to be yet to interpret it. But he that speaks in tongues speaks not to men, but he speaks to God. No man understands him. It's divine communication. That's one of the points next week. So he said on this particular verse, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they begin to speak in tongues. Acts ten. The house of Cornelius, the centurion. He wasn't even a Jew. And in Acts chapter 10, verse 44, While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision, or the Jews, which believed. These are the believing Jews. They were astonished, as many as came with Peter. Because that on the Gentiles also was poured out. The gift of the Holy Ghost. How did they know they was? Based on what? For they heard. They heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. And Peter said, Can any man forbid water which these who have received the Holy Spirit the same as we should not be baptized? And they baptized them in verse 48 in the name of Jesus. And then in Acts chapter 19, several years later, our text tonight, Paul having passed through those upper coasts, he came to Ephesus finding certain disciples. He said unto them, have you received the Holy Spirit? They said, we haven't even heard of such a thing. He said, what then were you baptized unto? And they went through all of that. And verse 6, when Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them. And what did they do? They spoke with tongues. That was a new testament pattern this was how they knew it was predicted and prophesied in the old testament and as we close and go home turn to isaiah 28 isaiah 28 and verse 11 and 12 for with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people to whom, he said, this is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest. This is a refreshing. Yet then, much like today, they would not hear that. How do you know that was a New Testament spirit? Listen to this. First Corinthians chapter 14, in quoting that verse in verse 21, Paul wrote this. He said, in the law it is written, With men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people. Yet for all this, they will not hear me. Therefore, tongues are for a sign. On the day of Pentecost, it was a sign not to believers, but to unbelievers. They thought, what is this? What meaneth this? What is this? And then Peter said, let me tell you what this is. That was how they knew. That was why this was a New Testament experience. It was the one thing that convinced the Jews in Acts chapter 10 that came with Peter. It was the one thing that convinced them that this is the real deal. This is the genuine article. Is they spoke with tongues. Now, God had a divine reason for his people praying or speaking in another tongue. It wasn't to establish you as better than anybody else because we're not, trust me. But it had a purpose of how you can relate to God and be used to God. Entering to his rest means it's a ceasing from you trying to get everything done and letting the Spirit use you to get his work done. He does the work. You just cooperate. Amen. Bow your head with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight for your word, for the truth. For with this, you're going to set your people free. You're going to make us free, Lord. I ask you to cause your light to shine into our hearts. Again, I pray that nobody would believe anything I've said because I said it. If I've said anything that's not of you, ask it, strike it from their memories. But give us the courage and the heart to read for ourselves what you've said. To search the scriptures. And if what is said is true, then we'll believe it because you said it. May our faith embrace it. And be willing to live it. I ask you to bless everybody in this room. Those that watch. Everybody here. In Jesus name. Amen.